Hello, please don't be. Uh, thank you for those of you who just came up there to speak to me. I'm just one of us, and this is my turn at the front. That's all this is. And what, what I like uh, in these engagements and these conversations is just to hear your stories. And it's interesting because I'm going to offer you a simple truth. I, I just want you to test it. When you hear the invitation to be a disciple of Christ, you don't have to trust yourself. You have to trust the one who calls you. Like, who am I to speak to you at all? You know, I'm son of John and son of Margaret. I'm brother of Marion and Alan. I'm dad of Sam and Matt and Emily. I like soccer. I enjoy a bit of trivia. If you came to spend time with me, I'd take you to my local pub. My life is just pretty much like everyone else's, except that I don't have faith in me. I have faith in the one who calls me. So I want to encourage you not to be afraid of the invitation to a personal encounter. Now, this is not feel-good Christianity. There's a challenge coming the way of the cross. But here's the first one. We're going to move on to the second question. So the, the, the first statement is know the one who calls you. In other words, Jesus is calling you to discipleship. And if you'll forgive me, who are you to say no? Or if every time you approach the Eucharist with the words, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and I shall be healed, you're ready. There's not some day coming when we'll all be ready and the light will come on and there'll be a clear plan. I mean, you do know that, don't you? I'm looking at a room of experienced people. You don't think there's a day coming when somebody's going to tell you what to do, do you? Are you still waiting for that? Surely life's told you that's not going to happen. And I'll illustrate that from the Gospels shortly, but just to be really clear, it's about you and him. And if I've read the scriptures correctly, and I've no more likely to do that than anyone else, I definitely believe that the call is a personal one to you today. It's, it's not tomorrow when you've done your reading. It's not next week. It's today. Now, once you say yes, and many of you said yes a long time ago, and perhaps some of you were baptised into a yes through the love of your families. But once you say yes, the next challenge is to know who you are. And you go, well, that's a bit weird, because I thought I did know who I was, and I didn't know who he was. Now you're telling me know who he is, and I don't know who I am. Dave, you're weird. So let's have a quick look at this, if you don't mind. Suppose the key is on the inside of the box. I'm just saying, supposing we trapped ourselves into a small reality and the key's in our hand. And we're waiting for somebody to tell us we can open it. And the Lord's saying, well, I've given you the key 2,000 years ago. You can open the box. You can get out. I go, no, no, I'll just wait here until I'm ready. Uh, we'll, we'll all wait here until we're ready. 
We'll wait here until somebody opens it for us. I mean, I, I know you wouldn't do that, but look, here comes Pope Francis. He's going to change our notion of vocation here. So what he says is discerning who you are gives greater value to everything you do. Your work, your ministry, your mission stops being just about making money, keeping busy or pleasing people. It becomes your vocation because you're called to it. It's something more than a decision. Now, can I just say, the first calling is not to a task. It's to being. And I'm even going to make this really weird and say it's to being alive. We go so quickly to strategy, organizations, committees, protocols and organizations that we forget that the first discernment is, who are you? I mean, really, who are you? I don't mean, who are you? I, don't, I mean, don't say David Wells. Well, that would be a bit weird because that's me. But you don't say, I'm David Wells. You go, no, 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 that's not the question. So let's have a little look at this. Pope Benedict does an amazing thing. He says, even amidst the business and stress of our daily lives, we need to make space for silence because it's in silence that we find God. But get ready for this next sentence. Amazing. He says, and it's in silence that we discover our true selves. Now, can I just give you a little bit of an assignment? It's not a job. All right. Sometime between now and Christmas. Find a place that works for you. A candlelit church, a hilltop, a quiet place in a glade, somewhere where you can be serene. And if this doesn't sound too crazy, say hello to yourself. Go. We haven't been talking for a while, have we? How are you? Blaise Pascal once said, by means of a diversion, a man can avoid his own company 24 hours a day. Some of you have been so busy being good at jobs, reliable, good mums, good daughters, good sisters, good professionals. Then one day somebody says, how are you? You say, I don't know. I don't know how I am. I stopped talking to myself years ago. I got the list done. It doesn't make anybody bad. But the first call of the disciple, don't be angry. As you'll find it isn't long before God holds up a mirror. Says, I love you. Do you? To witness, says St. John Paul II, means not only to impart what we know, but also to reveal who we are by living what we believe. It's this latter lesson which tends to last the longest. Do you know what that means? People are converted, not by your arguments, but by who you are. And if you don't know who you are, how can you do that? People want to meet your joy. They want to meet your enthusiasm. They want to meet your kindness. They want to meet your virtue. And when they meet that, they want it too. We got caught up in a Greek way of thinking, which said, <clears throat> you need to be able to explain it all. Well, 
There's nothing wrong. This is not anti-intellectual. It's a great thing in understanding. But actually, in the end, do you know something? You're amazing. You, I'm talking about, are amazing. When did you stop thinking like that? The bottom line, writes John Shea, of conversion is that it's the discovery of our true selves. This coming home to the truth about us is quite simply better than any of the substitutes we've embraced. Do you remember when you were 14? You were trying to work out who you are and you bumped and bruised your way through teenage years trying to be like this and trying to be like that and trying to be more like her and trying to be more like him. They were good things because you were experimenting. But sometimes we settled into the routine, got caught up into the rigor of life and lost touch with ourselves. So if we're going to rediscover our joy, we have to begin by saying, I know this sounds strange, hello to ourselves. Just a little bit of a warning here. <laughs> you know, at the beginning, that lovely picture that Father put of me in the flyer, that was before COVID. <laughs> I was just looking at it going, I remember being him. He's a stone lighter than I am. And, and the thing is, no, the, but just the thing is, this, this is the beauty of discipleship, is the Lord is going to introduce you to yourself. And I'm going to tell you something about this. You're going to discover that you're better than you thought you were. You think you're going to discover that you're worse. Don't you? He's going to hold up a mirror to you and then he's going to say, I am so proud of what I did in you. And it's not me that's forgotten. It's you. I don't think, I think the Lord comes to all our meetings, but I'll tell you something. He's not nearly as depressed as we are. <laughs> the alternative is we build up false premises. For the theologians amongst you, the beginning of Gnosticism and Pelagianism, where we make it all about ourselves and we worry about how little we know, or we worry about how unskilled we are, and then we make it all about ourselves. And what does Pope Francis say in Gaudati et Exultate? Get ready for this. It's utterly liberating. He says, it's not about you. I, could, I didn't make you perfect. I knew what I was doing. I want you to fumble and mumble and kick your way into classrooms and discover how much I love you. That's what I want. Why are you waiting to be an expert? Who told you? Who told you to be an expert? Now, I'm nearly there. Has anybody in the room ever bought a photocopier? A small one. Thank you, Doug. This is Doug. He bought a small photocopier. <laughs> the interesting thing, thank you. It's not often somebody says yes. Um, but um, I'm going to show you a picture from a brochure. Uh, so this is a brochure that sells photocopiers. I suppose possibly not before long, they'll sort of disappear. There'll be another thing that technology removes from our lives because it won't be long before we don't need paper copies of anything. 
But the interesting thing there is I, I like her. I mean, just look at her. Isn't she wonderful? Just look at her for a minute. She's gorgeous. Do you know what I really like about her? I've never met anybody anywhere in the world who looks at a photocopier like that. <laughs> Nobody looks at a ph I love you, photocopier. You came into my life and made my life so much easier. I love that about her. This is how people look at photocopiers, don't they? <laughs> okay. I'm going to come back to photocopiers in three minutes. This is a woman who goes online. And uh, this was about ten years ago. I love this picture. She goes to a, an art gallery in Florence. And she sees a painting. And this is something I love about information technology. Is she goes online and she says, Hey, I've just found a picture of myself as a little girl painted 200 years ago. How can that be? Now, of course, she wasn't being serious, but she was saying, isn't it funny that sometimes, perhaps in the past, there have been several close likenesses to you on this planet? But, of course, what happens is, as soon as it goes viral, people from all over the world start responding. So, in, in a wonderful wave of humour, people responded to that and sent to her website lots and lots of images. Images like this. Oh dear. That's quite accurate, that one, isn't it? Don't you think? How about this one? <laughs> it's not bad. I like the way he's caught the facial expression on there. This next one is uh, a seminarian. This next one's my favourite. <laughs> and what's happening here? Well, ah. <sighs> Do not be afraid of holiness. Once again, it will take away none of your energy, vitality or joy. On the contrary, you will become what the Father had in mind when he created you and you'll be faithful to your deepest self. You have got nothing to be afraid of. I call you to discipleship. You've got nothing to be afraid of. Back to copying. Here we go. Now, this is how they train police dogs in Manchester. And one of the tests, this is called the finals is this cat walks past these dogs, and if any of them breaks rank, uh, they don't pass. Isn't that fantastic? I'm not interested in that. I want to know who trained that cat. <laughs> Back to photocopiers. Get ready. Here comes Pope Francis. He writes extensively in Gaudati et Exultate and in Christus Vivit. He says... Becoming a saint means becoming more fully what you becoming more fully yourself, becoming more fully what the Lord wished to dream and create, and not a photocopy. If you simply copy other people, you're going to deprive the earth and heaven too of something that nobody else can offer. Part one: You're being called to discipleship by the Lord who made you. Part two: You're not be called a disciple like the person sitting next to you. There is not a photocopy. So when the plan comes, it's going to be about how we live our lives, not the organisations that we set up. And we're going to gather around the liturgy to celebrate our difference. And don't wait for a uniform course to tell you how to be a disciple 
the course is going to tell you how to be yourself authentically and when you become authentically yourself people are going to become attracted to you because they're going to meet honesty and nobody is attracted to vinegar he's good isn't he his blessed carlos acutis one of our youngest uh, heroes if you like all people are born as originals but many die as photocopies it's a good line isn't it i think what crushes us is we think we're like, supposed to be holy like other people are holy and you look at our saints and our windows and our statues and we think i couldn't possibly be like that and the lord says i'm not asking you to be like that i asked her to be like that i asking you to be like you that's the thing so that's why isn't it interesting line we have a pope saying just get this don't be afraid of holiness holiness is not being like someone else holiness is becoming authentically who god made you to be now i'm sorry if we didn't teach you that in your childhood but we should have done because in fact the only way you've got the only chance you've got of being happy is finding out who you are and being that person and when i tell talk like this i can hear bells in the background it's amazing <laughs> I would also remind you that you won't find fulfillment by copying others, writes Pope Francis. Imitating the saints doesn't mean copying their lifestyle and their way of living. There are some testimonies that may prove helpful and inspiring, but we are not meant to copy, for that could lead us astray from the one specific path that the Lord has in mind for us. You have to discover who you are and develop your way of being holy, whatever other people might say. Be really careful. Right, there's not a formula. God's got a plan for you and it turns out to be being you. And then after that, it's all risk. This is Marianne Williamson. A lot of you will have read this. She became very famous because when Nelson Mandela was released from incarceration in South Africa, he quoted this. But it's a beautiful piece. She said, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful. It's our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented and fabulous? Well, actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We're meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that's within us. It's not just some of us, it's all of us. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. I just want to encourage you. The challenge isn't to be like someone else. The challenge is to be you. The one that God dreamt the one that God made, the one that God inspires, and the one that God in inspires today. So my first homework in this school of discipleship is not a particular strategy or a plan. It's not a particular course. It begins with us doing our homework, and our homework is this, reminding ourselves to come into the presence of our Lord, however that works for us, 
and to let him say, to let him say, I love you. That's what he wants to say. I know. I love you. And after you've heard that, like St. Peter, there's no going back. I love that line of Peter mesmerized by the failure of others to follow the Lord. And, and the Lord, in one of those rare moments, perhaps of vulnerability, looks to Peter and says, are you going to go to? Peter, I love this line. He says, Lord, after we've met you, where is there to go? You're the eternal mirror. I know who I am in you. And tomorrow I'll let you down. I've got nowhere else to go now. My home is to follow you. That's all of us. We're all there. What I love about all this, of course, is that it, it leads to something exciting. We don't need to be depressed. Our saints remind us. You know, Catherine of Siena was very good at this. Don't be like me, she said. And we have it in the scriptures. There's a hidden self inside of you that the Lord wants to wake up. May your hidden self grow strong. As this starts to happen, then there's no limit to what is possible. This is one of my favourite statements. I use this a lot with teachers. But this is taken from Christus Vivit. And it's Pope Francis saying to young people, young people, if you've lost your inner vitality, your dream, your enthusiasm, your optimism and your generosity, Jesus stands before you as once he stood before the dead son of the widow. And with all the power of his resurrection, I love this, he says. And this is the call, forgive me, that I hear in Father John. And it just says, look, it's time to stand up. It's time to stand up and say, yeah. Yeah, Lord, I, I'll probably make a mess of this. I probably won't do it the way you want me to do it, but I'm going to have a go. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be who you called me to be. And it's a bit scary because, Lord, I, I'm not sure I even know who that is. But the disciples didn't either, and it seemed to work in the end. It's a personal moment, made powerful when we all do it. And the joy of it is you don't have to be like somebody else. When we tell young people, you need to be afraid of no one. You have nothing to prove. You were born unique. You're not a photocopy. And we call you to courage and we call you to faith. When we do that, we dignify people. And as they stand up unprepared and unready, you can almost cry because it's just beautiful to see. That's what we're being called to, to tell people you have dignity. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. That dignity is in the one who made you and it's time to stand up. Be joyful before the world. And let no one, no one take that from you. And by the way, I've already met it just in this table, but it's in every table in the room. This room, by the way, in case you don't know it, is 
bursting with joy. You do know that, don't you? I'm not telling you anything you haven't got. It's bursting with joy. So my question becomes, why have we stopped knowing who we are? What's, what's happened to us that we've lost touch with ourselves? Why have we sort of lost touch with that deeper yearning within us? How has that happened? How have we become divorced from ourselves? It's a curious question. The first question is, do you know the one who calls you? And then the second question is, do you know who you are in the response? Or have over the years those clouds covered in and come in and made this all a bit foggy? And you lose sight of who you are, not who he is. I had a great conversation recently with Alison, my wife, and we were chatting about this. And she said, Dave, I think it was probably as late as my early 40s, before I had any idea who I am. I was a mum long before I knew who I was. Oh, that wasn't a crisis. It was just a busy life. A life well spent, a good life. But my question, my challenge to you today is, one, do you know who's calling you to this? And then the second question is, do you know who's responding? There's a deep yes inside of all of us. We were born with it. Everybody in the room wants to say yes, deep down inside. What stopped us? Where did our lack of confidence come from? How did that happen? Just briefly, with the person next to you, only for a couple of minutes, we've nearly finished this session. I'm going to tell you one more story and then we're going to have a break. But just with the person next to you briefly, I just want you to say to the person next to you, this bloke's mad. I've no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> or, 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 I want you to say to the person next to you, he's right, you know. There's something about this that's true. Like, like, I, I think he's right. Like, which bit is right? Which bit of you is arrested that's going, no, I think I, I can relate to this. Or you might say to the person next to you, this isn't what I expected. It's a different talk to what I expected. All I want you to do just for a couple of minutes is say to the person next to you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Is this mad or does it make sense? Now, if you haven't got an answer, don't worry because the person next to you has. So just find out what it is. Find out. Let's just talk to each other for a couple of minutes. What's going on in your head right now? Just a quick conversation. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. One short story to try and illustrate that talk, and then we'll have our second break. I'm just trying to stick to the times that we've been given. And don't forget that the breaks are not you not working. The breaks are meant to be us chatting to each other. And so don't, don't fall into that trap of thinking you're not working when you're talking to each other. All right? This is not a conference. Conferences are great. But this is about us building up the body of Christ. That's what we're doing here. You know that, don't you? We're arms and legs and noses and arms and everything. We've all got a bit of it. And we're becoming the body of Christ as we talk to each other properly. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I, uh, I used to be an advisor for adult education in the Diocese of Nottingham, known famously for Robin Hood. And there I was, right in the district known as St. Anne's. 
it's an area of, again, social depravity and uh, quite a rundown part of the city. And um, I was uh, visiting the elementary school, which was next to one of our churches in that part of the city. And the church was run by a group of Franciscans. And uh, I loved this. The elderly Franciscan, who was the parish priest of the time, said to me, David, he said, I'm a troubled man. He said, I've got a church that is beautiful. But he said, it's tired. The people there are tired. It's uh, an aging church. And he said, I've got a school next door that's full of children. It's vibrant and chaotic and wonderful. And he says, the parents gather around that school every morning to drop their children off. But I never see them at church. He said, I've got a school full of one age group and the parents. I've got a parish full of their grandparents, but I can't get them to meet. And he said, I want to find a way to get these parents back to mass. Can you help? Um, I remember thinking, Father, if we could sort this one out, we'd sort it out all over the world. But I recognized his humility and his loneliness and his courage. And I said, Father, whatever, I'd like to help. And so we had a parish meeting. And there was a third part to this triptych, which I haven't told you. The church, the school, and over the road was a pub. Now, the pub is about to play a very important role because we call the owners of pubs landlords and landladies. I don't know whether you know that, but the landlord and landlady of this pub, this couple, were parishioners and the good people. And they said, do you know, I think we could help. Why don't you run a course in our pub on a Tuesday, just after you drop the children off for school, we'll invite the parents into the pub We'll provide them breakfast and you can give them a little talk about the mass. Sounded like a good plan, right? So that's what we agreed to do for six Tuesdays in October and November. Way back in 1996, I was turning up on a Tuesday morning to give various talks about the mass to this group of parents who were dropping their children off for school. When I arrived at the first session, this was back in the 1990s. Now, some of you will remember this, but some of you weren't born. But basically, we didn't have PowerPoint projectors. We had something we called overhead projectors. Now, I don't know whether you ever remember them, but you shone a light through transparent acetates onto the wall. I had my overhead projector, my acetates. I'm dressed in a suit. I'm prepared. I'm ready. I turn up to the pub. And everybody in the room, there's about 25 of them, are all women. They're all more or less, I'd say at least two thirds of them are single parents. And they're sitting in front of me. And within minutes of me starting my talk, their really little ones are in a creche next door. And within minutes of me starting the talk, most of them have lit cigarettes. Do you remember in the 1990s, people still smoked? Uh, you were one of the first countries in the world to change this. But whenever we gathered socially, by the end of the meeting, the smoke would work its way from the ceiling downwards. And if you wanted fresh air, you had to bend over. <laughs> now, I don't know whether you remember this world, 
But within a few minutes, it became obvious to me. Now, bear in mind, it just became obvious to me they hadn't come to listen to a talk about the Eucharist. They'd come for breakfast. This wonderful breakfast the pub was cooking. Now, here's the thing. Within minutes, they've lit cigarettes. They're talking to each other. I'm at the front, busy talking about the mass, and it's not working. Have you ever led anything? that wasn't working. Okay. This was going badly. There were two women at the front who were listening to every word. And it turned out they were Polish and didn't understand anything. <laughs> so I got two people in the room that wanted to understand and couldn't. And then I got 23 people in the room who could understand and couldn't be bothered. And I was trying to work with this group. Now, here's the thing which, which was amazing. I went home and felt terrible. I felt I was letting the priest down, and I felt I, I was letting the room down. It wasn't working. And I said to my wife, do you know, I don't know what to do. I feel, I feel like I'm letting everyone down. And she said, well, have you thought about going back and asking them what they want? I said, no, I hadn't thought of that. So the following week, I didn't take my acetates. I didn't take my overhead projector. I took off my suit and put on something a little bit more casual. And I went in and I said, look, can I just say I'm sorry? I said, I know last week it didn't really work. Some of them are getting their cigarettes out again. I said, I know it didn't really work, but what, what would you like to use this time to do? And one of the women near the back, I think to embarrass me, said, let's talk about sex. Thank you. Yes, I'm English. We don't talk about sex. What's more, I think it was a provocation anyway. I was the only man in the room. They'd got a lot of power by this stage. I had now... So I'm standing in front of them and I said, well, OK, you know, let's talk. And, and we began to talk. Now, if I can just say it wasn't the sexual act they wanted to talk about. Mainly they wanted to talk about men. They talked a bit about their lives. And it became obvious in the unfolding of the stories that for most of them, men hadn't been a good story. We're talking about, in a sense, their lives. It progressed. Week four. I turn up, the conversation is beginning to work. They're now not lighting their cigarettes. The two women at the front have got a translator and something is happening. But that's not the point. Father comes up to me just before I goes in and he says, how's it going? He'd looked at the scheme I'd put together and by this stage we should have been talking at least about the liturgy of the word. And I looked at him and I said, Father, I don't, he said, shall I come in this time? And I said, um, <laughs> Father, if you don't mind, uh, I mean, you are welcome. It's your meeting. Technically, of course it is, Father. But, do you know, to be honest, we, we've not got onto the mass yet. <laughs> he said, well, what, what are you talking about? And I said, well, actually, it's a bit hard to explain. Oh, don't worry, David. Don't worry. Don't worry. You carry on. You carry on. Week six. I get to the end of the session. We still haven't got onto the mass. 
and I realized that we'd spent six weeks talking about relationships and I was finding it harder to talk about Jesus. Why? So I said to them, look, I said, you know who called this meeting, don't you? You know this is a part of the parish. I said, at the end of this meeting, when we finish our conversation, I said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to light a candle and I'm going to read from the holy book story about Jesus and women and um, if anybody you'd like to stay you can stay too but I said to them as we sat down in the circle they all stayed I said I'm, I'm going to pray for you now and um, if any of you want to pray you can pray too I said you can pray quietly or you can pray out loud. And I lit the candle and we read from John chapter 4. And I laid the book down and I said, um, I'm just going to pray in silence. And then one of the women from near the back, as though she was a little girl, began a letter. She said, Dear Lord. <laughs> Interesting how we pray, isn't it? Dear Lord. She carried on. My life is quite hard. And then she began to weep. Now here's the thing. So did the others. It was the first time that the words, a veil of tears, made sense to me. A veil of tears. I was surrounded by a veil of tears. They began weeping. Weeping the tears of broken humanity in a humble little room on the south side of Nottingham. Do you know what I remember thinking? Wow. I'm going to take my shoes off. Because this is holy ground. Something bigger than me is happening. I thought it was about my programme and my course and my preparation and my overheads. I thought it was about my projector and my suit, but it wasn't. It was about service. It turns out, you see, that if you say yes and you're prepared to be real, the Lord will take you to places you don't plan, don't organise, and then something happens. That's not a story about me. It's a story about those women. It's a story about them their courage, their dignity, their faith. Now, don't get me wrong, it didn't finish with 25 people going to Mass. But I know that day was holy, and I know that day he told them that he loved them. And that's why they were crying. It felt sad, but it wasn't. It was full of joy. Now, there's something about this call to discipleship that calls us to be true to who we are. You're not being called to be something you're not. We're now going to take just a 10 minute break. And if you don't need a rest or you don't need refreshment, just talk to each other briefly about what stops us from knowing who we really are. 
where does our lack of confidence come from? Just for a few minutes. Now, this is a 10 minute break. It's not a long. So if you do need a restroom, please go. But we'll be kicking off again in 10 minutes. Have a brief chat with you. I'll see you in 10 minutes.